Welcome to the 105 Way Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia. And your co-host, JL. And on this episode, we have author Andre. Andre, how are you today? All is well, all is well. Thank you guys for having me. Most definitely, yeah. Andre, you know, when when, when y'all hear this, what his story is about, his background and everything, you know, this is this is definitely something that is not talked about enough me me having that parole officer background i dealt with a lot of guys who gave up went back unfortunately passed away and more people involved in the system really need to hear andre's story because he he'll let you know that anything is possible so again andre thank you for being on the show today definitely i definitely appreciate that so tell us and our listeners, a little bit more about yourself. Tell us about your background, where you're from, what you do for a living, and how the idea of writing came to mind. Okay, okay. Well, a little bit about myself. My name is Andre Aparicio. I'm from Queens, New York, originally from Queens, New York. Um, I lived all over Queens. Um, um, I've been... Right now, currently, I am the program manager of the Office of Second Chance Employment, um, and that program is a program that is a pilot program at the airports through TS, um, through the Port Authority. They are actually supporting us, uh, the company that I work for, and we actually are looking to hire individuals that have backgrounds or have uh, justice involvement like myself in and around the airports. Um, and then I'm also a community liaison and program developer for outpatient treatment program that offers services like anger management, substance use, domestic violence, you know, things of that nature. Typically, a lot of programs that you go to when you come home um, from prison or uh, that you're mandated to, you know, by some type of program. Pr- probation or uh, uh, parole uh, stipulation. Um, how I got into all of that is actually, like I stated, being formerly incarcerated myself um, in 2009. I committed a crime that took me about 30 seconds to uh, do and about eight years to get out of. Um, and that eight years was uh, three years actually incarcerated and five years parole. Um, and I came home on parole like many others. Uh, with this mindset that, you know, everybody was against me, people owed me things, um, you know, and just really not dealing with a lot of internal issues that I had. Um, But uh, luckily, I had some individuals that were set in place, and I'm a firm believer in alignments and assignments. And, you know, I was able to align myself with an actual counselor at an outpatient program that I was assigned to, which is exactly pretty much how I got into uh, being at an outpatient program. I had a counselor that had did time. She had did over 25 years and had came home and was working on her third master's degree when I met her. And um, she was just kind of encouraged me and inspired me to get into the whole field of counseling and things like that, especially with other people, because I came home and I just wanted to, you know, make some changes and do things differently. Um, And, you know, those things, along with so many others, kind of led up to this book process. And I really honestly, still to this day, I tell people I didn't really want to write a book um, because I felt like, especially now, um, when you're speaking on certain topics, like for me, the topic of reentry, the topic of uh, social justice, criminal justice, justice involved, those impacted by the justice system is really near and dear to me. And I just didn't want to feel like I was putting something out just speaking because I had a voice. Um, I wanted to make sure that it was substantial. Um, 
And um, honestly, to be that the God's honest truth, I literally, uh, this book came to me in, in two parts. Um, I started it on a Thursday, uh, no, an early Saturday morning. I woke my girlfriend up. It was like three in the morning. And I said, babe, I got an idea for outline for the book. Um, because I was telling her that I wanted to write a book for reentry because I wanted my main goal is to get my book into the prisons before individuals come out. Um, and that was the, one of my main goals. And I woke up and, uh, Honestly, I can't even explain it any other way than the outline was in my head and I put it in my notes on my phone. Um, and then about two days later, I sat down and I told my girlfriend and she was working on her book as well. Um, and I said, listen, let's just knock our books out and call it a day. And I sat there from sunup to literally sundown and I actually did write the book in a day. Um, and it's, it's just been a blessing, honestly. That's what's up. And, and you know, it's it's crazy, man, because whenever I talk to you, I just I, I think about, again, all the all the guys who I, I wish I could say that a majority of the individuals that I supervised made it off. Hmm. And with me having a what we considered a high risk caseload. It was not abnormal for myself and just a few other parole officers who had similar caseload to have guys go back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of it, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of it does have to do with a little bit of impatience. Mm -hmm. It has to do with a lack of guidance. And mm -hmm. another thing that I was thinking about, and I want to ask you this, mm -hmm. sometimes I would have guys who had a parole officer who I knew for a back for for a lack of, of better words was a prick, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so a lot of times they talk to other guys and say, "Man, that dude New York, he real cool. He should be a PO, right?" Mm -hmm. And so my question to you is, wh what would you say to that person listening right now who's like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, JL. I hear what you're saying, Andre. But like my PO, he's just not. He or she is not helping me at all and so you know this is just adding more stress and i don't see any other outcome but me going back well, what would you say to that individual well i mean i say what i always say to individuals they're blessed when they have offices like that that are straightforward pricks why because no one is half the battle so if you know what you're dealing with you know how to handle it um you're not looking to go in there and expect something different from somebody that's already showed you who they are in your situation in life right now so you got to acknowledge that and i always tell individuals to understand that when it comes down to uh, um dealing with situations like that the end goal is to get off parole i used to tell people all the time um even when i came home i had gang parole stipulations so i couldn't wear certain colors um and people were like so outraged when I told them that. It's like, so you can't wear this. That don't make no sense. And I said, I'll go in there butt ass naked if I can stay home. You know, it doesn't even <laughs> matter to me. And that was my mindset. And that's what I always tell people's mindset. Um, don't be too far removed from where you just came from. I always tell individuals when I'm out speaking, a nine o'clock curfew is better than a 10 o'clock count. In prison, you have that 10 o'clock count, and that's the last count for the night where they count. You know, you don't have that count out here. You have a nine o'clock curfew. Yeah, it sounds crazy. You having to be inside by nine o'clock. But guess what happens after nine o'clock when you ain't got no job? Trouble. You know, so I always tell individuals, you know, um, you know, I understand exactly what they're going through. I was on parole for five years. I had maybe seven parole officers. Um, 
I'd probably say maybe two or three of them were actually like decent officers. The other ones were kind of like, I'd say in their feelings and stuff like that. And I had to learn how to navigate that. Like, it was like, at the end of the day, parole officers are people as well. And they have issues that they're dealing with as well, you know? Um, so I didn't really, I always tell people, don't put yourself too much about what's going on with them. It's what can you do for yourself? And how can you do that is by making sure that you're tapping in with the resources that they have available. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound funny, but individuals that come home uh, from prison, no other individuals that was that come home from prison. So you need to get around the ones that's not constantly going back and figure out what works for them. And that's what I was telling. You know, I always tell people, even in the book, I said it. I have three steps. Man, you have to invest in yourself. You have to invest in your team. And you have to invest in your goals. You know, and um, investing in yourself is is understanding that. All right, yeah, this officer may not be helping me. But you know what? Maybe I have a better rapport with another officer or maybe I, I, I see somebody in the offices that's offering these different resources. Or maybe I should just use my smartphone and Google reentry services. Just don't let it stop with you. That's what I tell people. Don't let it stop with the, the fact of, oh, my officer isn't doing what they're supposed to do. How much are you doing for yourself? There's nobody that's going to have you like you. And you have to understand that um, in the same way you didn't have no red carpet in prison. I know I've been there. You're not going to have a red carpet when you come home. And we have to understand those things. But I think the bigger picture of that, to be honest with you, is that we have to make sure that we have the right resources for individuals that's coming home. Um, and when I say right resources, I also mean the right people and the right relationships. We have to just how you were able to keen in on some of the things that they have issues with patients and stuff like that. We need individuals like yourself that know that that don't challenge that. Mm. I totally agree. I think that's very great advice. And even the general public can use that advice. Mm. You know, no one's going to give you handouts. You got to. It's basically it's just how the world is. You have to right. fend for yourself. You have to figure it out on your own because, mm -hmm. you know, you can't rely on other people to get the job done. You, right. you just it's just a, a man eat man world. <laughs> it so. is. And people have to put themselves in their future right in the present. You know, because like I tell people, when I wanted, when I started my nonprofit organization, I didn't start hanging around with a whole bunch of plumbers or basketball players. I hung around people with nonprofit organizations because I wanted to be as successful as them. And I wanted to, you know, understand that and take that knowledge. And then I take it, always take it back to them. You know, you didn't start hanging around the people you hung around with because they made you feel terrible. You like something about them. You like some of the things that they were doing. You like some of the stuff that y'all was doing together. Now, looking at it from a, from a holistic approach, I literally was just talking to one of, uh, one of the, uh, my friends that lives in ATL literally this morning. And we had this conversation um, and he was having issues and stuff like that uh, with his significant other at the time. And, you know, courts involved. And, you know, when you have these conversations, people are talking about street stuff and what's this. And I had to be real with him. The streets aren't made for everybody. The streets aren't made for people. They're made for cars. The sidewalks are made for people, you know, and that's why people always get in hit because they think the streets is made for people. <laughs> there is no need for this street analogy when you don't see nobody sleeping in the streets that you are saying, hey, that's a great job. Why is what is the obsession with the streets when everything that revolves around the streets is in some type of negative light? You know, and, you know, sometimes you just got to put it exactly what it is. I mean, I know that a lot of people love, you know, sugarcoating things and stuff like that. But I feel like especially at a time right now with all that's going on in the world, I don't have no time to coddle individuals. 
Um, we have to make sure that we are preparing them and giving them the right tools, you know, and 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 I don't want these programs that come and offer these tools. Like, say, if we got a, a hammer job, these programs are offering screwdrivers and nobody bats an eye, mm. especially with what's going on now. If you have a reentry program, I need to know how was your reentry program before the pandemic and how is it running now? And if it's the same, I need you to close down. Mm. That's it. That's it. I mean, like I told them, you know, and, and and I've been, quote unquote, barred from different uh, platforms and stuff like that. And that's a OK. You know, as long as I, I say what I say and I get the word, I had the pleasure uh, in a two weekend span of meeting an original freedom writer that was able to get a NAACP award. Um, and I was there in his presence and an original in, uh, Black Panther that was in the house when the cops were um, firing at them and they ended up giving up, you know, when they ran out of bullets. And yeah. both of them said the same thing. It, it's 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 not about this. T- it's a title war going on. Everybody wants the title and the advocacy title and the fame, and the, but nobody wants to do the work. You know, and people are getting left behind and left behind and everybody's blaming everything else except for that. New York City right now, crime is sky high, especially with our youth and all the other stuff. And then what do they say? Yeah, let's cut the budget with education. You know, yeah. so at the end of the day, we I, I always tell people, you know, just bringing it back like you have to worry about you. My friend asked me, well, Dre, how do we get the masses involved? I said, you are the masses. What are you talking about? Start with changing the people's mindsets in your house, and then you can change the mindsets in your cousin's house, in your neighbor's house. And if we can start from there, then we can make some progress. You know, it's just that everybody has this idea that, you know, we're all going to just come together one day. And that's not realistic. Realistically, like an old timer told me in prison, slow motion is better than no motion. We have to chip away at this. Most definitely. And, and you know, what you were talking about just now kind of made me think about one of my success stories. And I always think about this same guy and he went to prison for, it was, it was about eight, around eight years. And all he knew was, was drug dealing. That's all he knew. And I remember he got a job as it was like working in probably like the cookie factory or something, something up in, in Northwest Ohio. And I was always real with him. I always told him anything that's going on, you come talk to me. So one day he came to the office and he said, listen, he said, doing this, I think it was like $8 and 25 cents at the time. He said, doing this $8 and 25 cents an hour, like I'm starting to do some math and the math on the streets is is a lot higher <laughs> than the math with this $8, $0.25 an hour. And so I, I got to thinking, because this was also a time where I was like, well, shoot, you trying to get off parole and I'm trying to get off being a parole officer. Right. right. So mm. I'm sitting there thinking, OK, how can we how can we navigate with what you do have? So I sat there and I said, you know, it's the great thing about you being a drug dealer. And he mm. said, what? And I said, you understand business. Mm-hmm. You understand that you have a product. That people want and you know how to get it to them. You know what's the terrible thing about you being a drug dealer? And he was like, what? And I was like, you're in my office. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. So what can we do with that gift? Tell me something else that you love to do. And he said, well, uh, 
you know, at the barbecues and stuff, I, I cook. So I said, have you ever thought about making that your full time where you just take a chance on yourself with what you were given as a gift? And he sat there and he said, nah, I never really thought about it. But, you know, I'd, I'd love to figure out how to take those steps. And so fast forward a few months later, he had a he had a food truck. He it was actually real funny talking to him because he was like, man, he said, these food trucks is like drug dealers. He's like, I try to go on one corner and this food mm-hmm. truck came and was like, "Uh, uh-uh, you on my corner. Like, you better get <laughs> off and sell your stuff somewhere else. And so he had to learn the ropes. And by the time he got off parole, he was like, hey, I'm saving up enough money so that I can open up a restaurant. And so it's like taking whatever your situation is at the time mm-hmm. and figuring out how can you capitalize on your God-given talent. He didn't realize he's, he's, he's an entrepreneur until mm-hmm. it was, like you said, speaking to somebody who actually cared about his success, okay. right? And, and, and turning that fuel into an engine that ended up, you know, getting him off parole successfully. Queens Parole now uh, host events when individuals come home. So what we're doing is you kind of have like a family day. And we actually held the first official one because this was in talks before we were doing parole. And we did it, but not to the scale that I wanted to do. And we still haven't done it to the scale I wanted to do yet. But we're making progress. And what happens is every 45 days, everybody that came home within the 45 days, Queens Parole now uh, creates an event to bring your family and you to come and understand about parole and the stipulations and stuff. But not only are we having you in there, but we're also having food. We're also having individuals do things with the kids. And we're also providing resources. And I'm one of the guest speakers. And we speak about that. I speak about that all the time. Your transferable skills. And one of the senior supervisors at parole, she always told me, I love when he gets to his transferable skills part. And I tell him, you know, if you were stealing cars and stuff like that, well, maybe you need to figure out how you can do some stuff and working on cars, because if you're capable of stealing the car, I'm sure you can do other things on that car. If you were selling drugs and stuff like that, I know individuals that are great salesmen now with cars and stuff. I've seen that. I have plenty of stories, you know, of individuals that I know that got into that field. And if you was out there killing people, I need you to stop that. Don't transfer. <laughs> just, just chill out on that one. You know what I mean? And everybody laughs and we have a good time, but they understand what I'm saying. And I think that, like I always tell people, when you spoke about the patience part, it's key. Because one of my right hand, my partner in crime, John Dawson, he's my old team, my mentor, old timer. And he works for Fortune Society. He does great work with the employment services and just great work in general. And what I love about him is that, you know, me and him was at a, a basketball tournament in our hood in Queens. And, and it's in the cages. And, you know, individuals don't generally go back there. The cops barely go back there. And we just out there sitting there and people are walking up to us that we didn't got into programs and jobs. And they're like, yo, Trey, what's going And they're like, yo, you really be outside. I'm like, I'm from Queens. What are you, like, what are you talking about? You know, and they're seeing this and they're like. And I noticed that a lot of individuals started to follow me afterwards on like social media and just, you know, hey, yo, bro, keep it up. Listen, and I always encourage them. You can do the same as well. Um, I think that when we are, we have to meet individuals where they are, but also understand that sometimes we have unrealistic expectations. Even when it comes down to the whole prison system in general, everybody's screaming rehabilitation. It's about rehabilitation. If the word rehabilitate to bring back to what you once were, what are we bringing people back to if they had a rocky start to begin with? We have to reform. We have to reconstruct it. And we have to do these things. You know, we have to relearn some of the things and learn it the correct way. You know, so it's, 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 it's really crazy that you spoke about the patient's part because I because John always says to them, 
who here family was taking care of them while they was away? And everybody generally raised their hand. And he says, good. I want you to know that they can take care of themselves while you're here as well. Mm. Don't be feeling forced like you got to come out here and make all this money and buy all the Christmas gifts you miss. No, get yourself together first. Just like on the airplane. When that thing dropped, they say, put that mask on your face first before you attempt to help anybody else. And that's the only way that we're going to keep each other afloat is understanding and recognizing that accountability and responsibility to self first. I tell people, I speak about it all the time, especially with the gang culture. Gang culture is filled with misplaced loyalty. We are loyal to the wrong people. The energy to the wrong things. And I was literally just having this conversation with my homegirl today. And I told her that, you know, I didn't respond back to something that transpired before I started all of this really huge transformation for myself. Because I realized I started to plot, to be honest with you, about how I was going to get this person back. And I said, damn, here you go again, using this God-given brain like you spoke about for something negative. We're not going to do that. We have to change. We have to, you know, and, and I was committed to that. And it wasn't easy. You know what I mean? Especially when you have the ego and you have all of these other things. And, you know, and I was pretty much I before prison as far as in the, uh, individual in my community. And now I come home and everybody is like, you know, so you feel like you have to keep up to this facade, this curtain. You know, and, and when they pull that curtain back, it's just the roar you up under there. And it's nobody else, you know, that can really speak for anything that you got to do. So that's why I keep telling people and I keep pressing people, you got to invest in yourself, man. Do not tell me that you're loyal to anybody until you're loyal to yourself. I won't believe you. And I know what loyalty to self looks like. So if you're doing some things that's not loyalty to self, we're going to identify that. You know, and I want to help you identify that. I need you to be loyal to yourself. I need you to have that same diehard love you got for your homies for yourself. They'll be all right. It's not a ride or die moment. You don't need to do neither for them. Right. You know, get yourself together. Get your family together. Get your get your mind together. Get your heart mm-hmm. together. You know, and, yeah. and then you can make some progress. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now. Um, most of our listeners, they look up to people like you who are a published author and, you know, you, you've accomplished so much. Um, what's some advice that you have for someone who doesn't know where to begin, but wants to be an author or who has a story like yours and wants to get it out, but just doesn't know where to go? Um, I think I always tell people, find your why. You want to write a book, find out why. Why do you want to write a book? Because if you find your why, you can figure out how, honestly. And and the why is the hardest part, which is why it sounds easy. But, you know, finding your why, finding what this does. I read um, when I was in prison, um, and it was dope because I actually spoke to Hill Harper about this on Instagram. And I read his book called uh, Brothers to, uh, A Letter to a Young Brother. And in it, he said that, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, they want to do something for the money. And he was saying, you know, the goal should be, the money will come with the uh, the goal that you have that's not attached to the money. You know, um, a lot of people get into this for, you know, thing. I know people that are like huge on trying to become like Amazon bestsellers, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, I got to make sure that I put that in my Instagram and stuff like that. When, you know, everybody that really knows the book game knows the Amazon bestseller game as well. You know, it's, it's, it's really and truly what I want you to do is figure out why you want to do this. And is it going to be impactful? 
right? Because what are we putting books out for? For people to read, for people to to, to ingest what we're putting out there. And I'm big on uh, uh, what we do. Like I, when I do speaking engagements and stuff, I talk about, you know, in the fact in prison, you know, some of those individuals are probably the most, you know, uh, in shape individuals and they working out and they making sure even in prison, they're making sure they're not eating certain things, believe it or not. Right. With, with, with less options. We have to be just as strategic and just as careful with what we ingesting. And there are people that are looking at that, like, you know, what do you have to offer me? You know? Um, and, and what I always, what I also would suggest is to get around other authors as well, get the feel for it. Make sure that you're reading books. Make sure that you're understanding of the knowledge. Make sure that you have something and, and, and make sure that you have a, a, a goal, you know, and a plan. Because a, a goal without a plan is just a wish. I always tell people we got to start planning better as people. You know, um, when I was doing my book, I said, you know what? I'm planning to get up this day. I have the outline. I'm going to take care of this. And I looked at my outline and I just said, all right, this is the subject. I'm going to speak to an experience with that. And that's one of the other things that I'm going to be looking to do to help individuals as well is helping them leverage their experience equity. Because that's huge. People think that I'm in these spaces that I am now because I have all of these degrees. I got a GED and a felony, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) but what's got me into these spaces is knowing how to leverage my experience equity. Being able to tell your story without glorifying the negative aspect of it is huge. We don't want to relive your good old times and all of those other things. And we also want to know what's the point. I look at everybody as a story, to be honest with you. I look at everybody as a book. Everybody always says, you know, tell your story. We all have our own stories. Everybody, to me, is a book. But what I find is that people take from your book what they need, you know? And if you can find yourself being able to share light on a situation that you can really think through and say, well, I started here, I went through this and that, and you're able to actually put that on paper, that's amazing. But also know that you don't have to do this alone. You got great publishing companies like this one. Yes, that, sir. You know, we went back and forth. You know, 105 <laughs> Publishing, LLC, I better hotline there. We went back and forth, you know, and it was like, you know what? He's right. That's what I'm trying to say. But, you know, and because I got so caught up in the book, like when I say I wrote this in a day, I literally sat down and wrote this book in a day, like typing away. And I didn't even look at it again. I was like, and then and then like maybe two weeks later, I was like, all right, let me go and look. And I went back and I was like, man, this book is kind of high. It needs a little editing, but this is. I think yeah. I got my point across, yeah, you know? You really did. You really and, did, and, and, man. And, yeah. and when I sent it to you, I was like, man, and then when you sent it back, I'm like, you know what? Let me check it with some people. And as people started to read it, I started to get even more confident in it. Like, oh, I think I really hit this one on the head. Like, you know? So um, my, my advice to you is uh, those that are listening that want to write a book, find your why. You can definitely figure out how when you find your why. And also understand that you don't have to do it alone. Um. I don't know if you guys understand what publishing companies do <laughs> in this totality, you know, like and, and, and also be aware that, you know, alignments and assignments is key. I told myself I was going to even though I didn't want to write a book, I said I was going to write a book to this nature for almost four or five years without even actually ever sitting down. And then it was just kind of like I felt like 
this is the time. You've seen all these things that haven't been changing. You're saying you're upset. You need to write a book to help individuals with their discharge planning. Because when you go into these hospitals and you go to triage and all that, before you see a doctor, they're telling you what's going to happen when you leave. So I need to make a book that's like that to get an individual working on their own discharge planner before they come home. So when they come home, the distractions is less and the expectations is also less as well. Because expectations versus reality, I came home thinking the world was going to be available to me because I wanted to do better. And then in reality, it took me almost two years to get employment. And I ended up selling drugs again before I started actually working again. And, and, and I tell you this story and I tell it no lie. And I can call my father now. I called him. I said, yo, pops, come and pick up this stuff. I'm done. He said, what happened? I said, I just heard something. And something said, if I don't stop selling this, I'm going to go to jail. And I'm not ready to go back to jail over nothing. And literally a week later, my friend's mother helped me get a job. And they only hired me for vacation relief. And that job Vacation relief means that I only had 28 days of scheduled work. And by the 26th day, they offered me a part-time position because they said I was working hard. And then I became a full-time worker. And that's kind of what that story went to, you know, with that. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying is that you're going to have to work at that. You're going to have to chip at that. If this book is something that you want to do, figure out why you want to do it. And you're going to be able to figure out how you're going to do it. Do some research. Do your own research. Stop trusting up everything that you're seeing. Leave Instagram and these Instagram influencers and these master classes and all the rest of these poverty pimpers alone that ain't really supporting you and helping. You got to do the work for yourself. Right. And the more work you do for yourself, the more that it's going to show in what you want to do. Hey, listen, that's 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 it right there. I mean, that's that's great explanation in a nutshell. Listen, it's it's um it's all on you. You you who are listening, it is all on you. And Andre said it best. Andre, let our listeners know one more time the title of your book, where they can find it and where they can find you. Definitely, definitely. My emancipation from incarceration, reform, relearn, and reentry. I'll make my own beats. I'll be hyped. Don't pay me no money. <laughs> Andre Aparicio, A-N-D-R-E-A-P-P-A-R-I-C-I-O.com is where you can find that book. That is my own platform that I'm building out. You'll see it then. You'll see other things that you can um, connect me with for everything from my LinkedIn to my Instagram community over competition underscore. That's what I live by. That's what I am. That's what I do. It's all about the people. We can't have community without unity. Let's start there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been the 105 Way Podcast. You can tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Thank you.